This afternoon we're in the 50th chapter of Isaiah. The first verse through the second verse. Uh, and it's parallel to, it reads about the same as the 59th chapter, the first verse. So some about iniquity that I don't discuss during this teaching and preaching session. Nine chapters later, I'll be able to address a little bit more of it. But we're talking about iniquity, iniquity, which is sin. Uh, some people say it's the legalization of sin. In other words, giving sin an avenue into our lives that we legitimated. In other words, we make it comfortable in our lives. It becomes a part of our lives in which it is a part of who we are and what we are. I think that's the death that we have to face because God had put enmity between the kernel of the fleshly man and he had condemned man to death. Man got condemned to death. And that's what I was... You have to wrap your mind around this and meditate on God's word and ask him because iniquity is a mystery and it says that in the book of Thessalonians the mystery of iniquity just like godliness is a mystery so it has something to do with something within our being our spiritual being our flesh uh, within us Paul had seen this other law within his members that was bringing him into captivity so iniquity has that way of causing problems in our lives and it was something that was in Satan that was inherent and a malevolent being that maybe that's what it was because God has to remove iniquity. That 50th chapter in the first verse says, Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I have put away? Uh, which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, and for your transgression is your mother put away. That word iniquities is translated in the Amplified Version. says, for wickedness, that is your sin, your injustice, your wrongdoing, is God separated away from you. The living version reads, The Lord asks, Did I sell you to my creditors? Is that why you aren't here? Is your mother gone because I divorced her and sent her away? No, you went away as captives because of your sin. And your mother too was taken in payment for your sin. So we see sin, uh, iniquity, has a separating effect. effect of getting you away from God. It's something... It's a, as Second Thessalonians talks about it when Paul was talking about the subject of the Thessalonians. If you read the second chapter, I'll start it at the fifth verse. It says, Do you remember that when I was still with you, I was telling you of these things? And he spoke of it to the Galatians. He spoke of it as the Galatians as another gospel or something. He said, When I was still with you, I was telling you these things. And you know what restrains him from being revealed. It is so that he will be revealed. It is so that he will be revealed 
at his own appointed time. And it talks about he who restraineth be taken out of the way. Is that the Holy Spirit? Is that the Spirit of God? Uh, I, I, I dwelt upon that years ago and thought about it. Was it the removal of God's common grace? You know, there's a common grace, a grace that's available to all mankind. That that seems to be one of the straining effects and seem like that is being lifted or removed out of the way because there's no such thing anymore almost. It's hard to find as, as common courtesy, a common decency, a decency that all men would have as a, a re- residual effect of the spirit of, of being created in God's image and likeness. His total depravity comes to the forefront and that seems to be nothing that's inhibited in it anymore. Uh, and one of the passages I'll talk about later on is the that the love of many shall wax cold. That the love of the many shall wax cold. Uh, and that's the deal with, like I said, the church is changing. And is it because of another gospel of the spirit of the spirit of this age, just what's happening? Let me continue on reading that verse. It says, For the mystery of lawlessness, that is, rebellion against divine authority and the coming reign of lawlessness, is already at work. But it is restrained only until he who now restrains it is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one, that is the Antichrist. They call it the Antichrist, but I think it's a spirit of lawlessness. I don't think it's a specific individual because, as John said, there'd be many an Antichrist in his day. And he said, uh, then the lawless one will be revealed, and the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and bring him to an end by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one of the Antichrist, one is through the activity of Satan. With attended to with great power and all kinds of counterfeit miracles and deceptive signs and wonders. All of them are, are lies and God's going to send such a strong delusion that people would begin to believe a lie because they didn't receive the love of the truth. So we see a lack of conversion, something that's not in these individuals. And I think that's the Spirit of God that's not in these individuals which cause them, causes them, uh, allows them to be deceived. And God's going to send such a strong delusion. And we know that according to Isaiah, he's going to choose what delusion each and every one of us, of us whom he's deceiving will deceive by. How does he send that deception? Uh, we should get two things out of this prophecy Paul is talking about. And that is... One that the lawless one was already working in Paul's day. As I told you, John had said that there be many an antichrist even during his time. We see that that was prevalent in the Garden of Eden with Satan, the father of lies. That I think that's the deception that was deceived Eve and which entered into mankind which changed to put something into the blood system of mankind. It put something within mankind. 
uh, and that spirit, uh, that mystery, that iniquity has been here all along. It says the mystery of iniquity and that it, ha- it has the force of a supernatural power of Satan. So we see touches of Satan working of that empowers this spirit of iniquity. That's why I say it's a malevolent spirit or whatever, a spirit that works maliciousness or wickedness or evil. We are dealing with something very significant here, and though he who restrains, therefore has to be one of supernatural powers in order to restrain it. But we see when the spirit comes into our lives, it has that effect of being able to channel the body. In other words, that if we would be obedient to the Spirit of God, and obedience seems to be what sets us at liberty to not be given over to this Spirit to be to overcome in Jesus Christ, to, to have ears to hear. It's something that God, in effect, does to us. It's a supernatural change in us. His Spirit comes in to where we could hear and His Spirit gives us the power to obey Him. It says, then those that received Him received the power, the ability to become sons of God. So that's being led by His Spirit, and this Spirit of Satan, which works in the children of disobedience, because it's no longer working on us who obey the gospel of continuing the Word of God. Uh, in this is the vague implication that since Paul says the mystery of iniquity was already working, that this thing that was working, as I said, is it in the blood system? Is it the spirit? Just what is it that empowers this spirit? It has to be revealed to you. Remember I said, when we talk mystery in Bible language, it is something that you can't figure out. It's not something that you can add all these things together and get a sum of facts to where you find out the answer to the mystery or you solve the mystery. It is something God has to reveal unto you. It's just like the mystery of godliness. It's at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He has to show you the way. And that it, it, it requires a transformation the reason I say it has to be transformative to change you and to bring you into the mystery of godliness because you have to have ears to hear. You have to have eyes to see. And the eyes to see comes by faith. Faith cometh by hearing the word of God. And we that are converted, us that believe in Jesus Christ, us that are sons of God, we walk by faith and not by sight. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So this dissolves the mystery. And the reason I say it comes by hearing. Listen at what Paul tells the Galatians in Galatians 1st chapter, the 6th through the 7th verse, which was written early in the A.D. 50s or something like that after the formation of the church, some 50 years, you know, 40-some years after Jesus' death and that he had formed the Galatian church, but he's called them, O foolish Galatians, who had bewitched you, that you would listen or hear another gospel 
which is not another. It's another Jesus. This other Jesus is an antichrist. There be many antichrists. That's why I say it has to do with preaching and teaching in the falseness of the word of God. But men, it, it has to be available to all mankind, something that could work in it all men because our tongue can be a world of iniquity. That can cause a world of, of destruction unto us, our very tongues, and only we know the Holy Ghost of the Spirit is the only thing that can tame the tongue. We talk about putting bit, bit, bits in a horse's mouth or whatever. You have to be bridled by the Word of God. Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are angels from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which have been preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now in that short period of time, about 20 to 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this mystery of iniquity was already at work, and it was working within the church. We see it at work in the church, and we see it at work at large. It's, it's a counterfeiter. It's something that imitates God or replaces God. That's why I say antichrist also means in place of Christ instead of Christ. That's why I say another gospel is this mystery of iniquity, an, um, another gospel, another Christ being preached. It has negative effects, and we know that Jesus had said there become many uh, antichrists. Sin, uh, iniquity, uh, lawlessness, however we want to read it, read it, is what caused the need for atonement or reconciliation. It was our sin, it was our iniquity. That's what separates us from Jesus Christ. That's what separates us from God. That's why it says, let him who nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We have to stop committing iniquity. The word of God has to transform us. It has to set us apart. It has to sanctify us. And, and we'll see that there's going to be a lot in the church that still work this iniquity and it's going to continue all the way up into the last days until the day of judgment. Because he said, it's going to be many come before me in that day and says, Lord, Lord, hadn't we done all of these works and miracles in your name? But the thing that he brings out that separates him from them is he says, depart from me, ye that word iniquity. So you see what I'm saying? That Though these people are naming the name of Christ and doing works in His name, iniquity still is at work in them. This, this mystery still goes on within them. Now these people were serious that were coming to Him. These were people that had been following Christ and really thought that they should be saved and should, should be had, had administered and be admitted into the kingdom. But he says, I never knew you. Not, I knew you and you fell from grace. He says, I never knew you. There was never a relationship that had developed within, uh, between them. Iniquity, sin, and lawlessness, lawlessness 
produce the opposite of atonement. In other words, instead of Christ's blood atoning from sin, it causes scattering of separation. So iniquity has to do with self, self-ambition, in something that can't be covered from. He who covered his sins of transgression shall not prosper. In other words, they, they can't be atoned for because there's no confession. In other words, as we come up to communion, it says, let a man examine himself. It's whereby we see that we're unworthy and that there's only one worthy, and that's Christ, to make us worthy and that we have to be covered by the blood. And if we're covered by the blood, that brings us into a right relationship with him. Iniquity produces separation, not unity. It produces the opposite effect of what righteousness or unity should be. Sin separates and builds barriers between us and God and between us and other people. That's what iniquity does of sin. Sin separates. There's no uniforming in it. That's why I say it's relevant in, in its form, shape, a content, a essence, because it's of Satan. We read in Ezekiel where he says, You was perfect until the day iniquity was found in you. Until iniquity was found in you. And I'm, as I keep thinking about this, and I've been uh, thinking about it all week, uh, I'm wondering... How much are we thinking during the day of meditating on God's Word and going through the motions? In other words, the Spirit's leading us in what to do or whatever. But we're thinking and trying to assimilate the things we've been taught or heard in meditating on the Spirit of God. That's what strengthened us because if we're not, our thoughts and our ways come to the forefront and those are not like God. We have to cast down imagination and every thought that exalted itself against God. So this is in the mind. It has to be in the mind. The transforming effect has to be in the mind. He says that he will not hear. Not that he cannot hear. And we hear them say, well, God heareth not the prayers of sinners. So those that are practicing iniquity are practicing or have these flaws in their lives unknown flaws and not trying to rid themselves of it, God is not listening at them. We have to understand it. this, and but because of sin, he will not hear us, and we'll get to that in Isaiah, the 59th chapter. God does not sin, so if there is a separation between man and God and between us and God, then it is because we've done something wrong. Doesn't the scripture say, how can two walk together unless they agree? We have to be in complete agreement with God and walk in the light as he's in the light. Because if not, we're walking in darkness and God that's we can't God doesn't go in darkness. There's no darkness in God. So that's what breaks fellowship. You remember when the iniquity of us all was laid upon Jesus Christ up on the cross. When, that's why he cried out, My Father, my God, my God, why art thou forsaken me? Because 
the sins of the world had been laid up on him. That broke the union. That's the great sin that began in the beginning that Satan told the lie. Sin breaks the union with God. It caused that fellowship between God the Father and God the Son to be broken at that time. Because he, the sins of the world, the iniquity was placed, our iniquity were laid upon him. All of our sins. And we have to actually believe that, that that was one that atoned. In other words, that bore our sins, that bore our burden, that took all of this upon himself. And that we're healed by what God did unto him. That God paid the price was paid by Christ it was paid by the death that was exacted upon him we are the ones who are drifting away if something is growing cold it's we're growing cold away from God and I think that's what Satan did you can inch and inch away like a boat drifting away from the shoreline a runner trying to steal bases he gets further and further away from the base until they get into no man's zone. In other words, he's in between. Now the pitcher is looking, and he throws it to the first baseman or the second baseman or the third, and you caught in between second and third of second and first, and they're throwing the ball. Sooner or later, they're going to run you down. You have drifted away from safety. You were safe while on the base. You were safe. Now it's going to take God to bring you back home. God has to bring us away from home. Sin causes us to be scattered from God. Disobedience scatters us from God. However, to the human beings, it seems as though God has gone far away. When God hadn't moved at all, it's us who have moved. God is unchangeable. So if God's not hearing our prayer, it's us that's gone wrong. It's our sin or transgression, the reason God doesn't hear our prayers. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, the third chapter, 12 through the 13th verse says, Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause my anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity. Acknowledge thine iniquity. That thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thine ways to the strangers under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Now here Jeremiah pleading for Israel to repent. That is, turn from your wicked ways. Turn from what you have done. There's something has got caused this confusion. There's something that brought this in your life. Now you could continue to blame, blame others. You can blame Satan. You could do all the blaming you want to. But to bridge this gap, it requires a turning on your behalf. A repentance on your behalf. It says to acknowledge your iniquity. That's verse 13. Acknowledge your iniquity. Ask that these words be proclaimed toward the south. Jeremiah, remember, lived in the time of Judah's fall to the Babylonians, some 130 years after the kingdom of Israel had been forcibly moved out of its homeland. 
So he was not writing to the Israelites domicile with a hundred within a hundred miles north of Jerusalem. He's addressing people living somewhere else for the north. Those people had been scattered, and sin causes us to be scattered. That's what causes us to leave home, for us to have to leave home, to move out. It's our sin that divides us. Sin divides, whereas God unites. Matthew 24th chapter, 9th through the 14th verse, it says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive the many. And because iniquity, this is what I was talking about earlier, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all the nations, then shall the end come. Now, iniquity is going to be the prevalent thing in these last days. It says iniquity go abound, and the love of the many shall wax cold. And that's what I was talking about, common grace. You know, you get tired uh, humanly, as Christ says, how long shall I be with you of, you of little faith? Sometimes we, we begin, we almost run out of forbearing or long-suffering. People of things have a tendency to wear us thin or we grow weary of certain things. The reason, I don't know if that's the reason of the love of many growing cold, but there wasn't continually being spiritually filled. Love endureth all things. But in this love enduring all things, sometimes we may say things that we don't really want to say. As Paul says, I'm glad I, I he was sorry that he made them sorry, but he was glad that he made them sorry unto repentance. Sometimes we make people say things that they won't don't want to say or whatever but sometimes that's what puts us back in the ball game. Sometimes harsh words has to come. Sometimes you have to tell people where they get off and that they're getting on that last nerve before they cause you to do something even worse than what you would be doing than saying something. They may cause you to do something. So sometimes that we can't suppress or repress all of those feelings. They have to come out. They come out somewhere. And sometimes that works to our benefit to get things off of our chest sometimes. That's why we have to be led by the Spirit of God. It says, but he is a perfect and upright man who offend who offend not in word or deed, but sometimes we do offend. That's why this great experiment that's going on down here that's forming character in us, and we have to consider what's being done. This is a warning to us that the iniquity that is in the world will cause a loss of love even in the church. It says the, lo- the love of many will wax cold. If we understand the progression of events in Matthew 24, then verse 12 speaks to the time of tribulation. 
Then other words, it says many will cause others to be put to death. It says you'll be hated by all nations and shall betray one another and hate one another. False prophets shall arise or whatever. So this is an end time scenario where this iniquity is running rampant. We are leading up to that, living in a period which stresses against the church from the world are increasing. We're all under a lot of stress, a lot of tribulation that's going on, whether we admit it or not. We're at that time of Jacob's trouble. As they increase, it can have the psychological effect because we begin to get weary of dealing with it, of becoming apathetic, that is, without feeling for what we formerly loved so dearly. You don't want to be become apathetic. You know, some people, after you knock them down so many times, they get tired of getting up. We don't want to become apathetic, and sometimes dealing with these situations, you leave others to deal with what they're doing because this is happening too many. That's, that's what was happening when Peter, when Jesus was telling about forgiving his brother. And he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Seven times seven? He says, no, 70 times seven. You see, Peter was getting a little bit afraid at the thing. You know, people, like I say, people would get on that last nerve. You better watch people. Uh, so iniquity is in the world, but resisting it is a constant stress because it exerts tremendous pressure through an appealing facade to give in and to go along with it. Some men become impact. Some men, they don't establish all what God has in their potential, and the woman wears them down to the point as it was like Samson was exasperated with Delilah, and he finally told what God's secret was. There's been a many a good man ruined by uh, a no good woman, uh, many a good woman ruined by a no good man, parents ruined by children, children ruined by, ruined by parents, and that's why it says the enemy shall be with those within your own home. And you have to realize who your enemies are. Yes. You have to realize these things because iniquity is there. Nepotism is a problem. Nepotism becomes a problem when you tolerate a compromised sin, especially in your household, because that problem don't goes away. That problem goes to bed with you. That problem rises up with you in the morning. That's why you have so much domestic abuse here nowadays. That's what's going on. Temperatures are rising. As we live with it and everybody else is doing it, the world's behavior gradually becomes acceptable to us, thus giving evidence that apathy is taking over. Sometimes people begin to have affairs or divorce one another or start just not caring. Uh, Things keep happening. I was talking to one of my sons and I was trying to point him in a situation where this is going to continue to happen because God's not in this situation. You're not bringing God in the situation. God's trying to show you something. God's trying to turn you around. But we constantly fight God and fight the hand that's feeding us. We need to look at every aspect, even in areas we may consider minor things. Iniquity is in the world, 
but it pressures us into doing things as it does, and then it becomes uh, it becomes our behavior. We become have iniquitous behavior because we're conformed to the work. Sometimes we have to still keep fighting to swim upstream. We have to sometimes go against the current. We can't go along with peer pressure. We can't go along with just having peace at home. We, we can't go along with these things. Sometimes the rubber has to meet the road. This cord has, this, this has the end somewhere. Sin, Christians, and the fear of God all wrapped up in these things. Should we sin? Should we be Christ-like? Or should we fear God? The one that goes out of that that trio there is sin. We, to be Christ-like, we have to fear God and walk in the fear of God. Romans, the third chapter, the 20th verse says, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Uh, Amplified version says, for no one, per, for no person will be justified, free of guilt and declared righteous in his in his sight, trying to do the works of the law. For through the law we become conscious of sin, and the recognition of sin directs us toward repentance, but provides no remedy for sin. That's why we have to have Jesus Christ in our life. That's the remedy for sin. That's what covers our sin. And we must confess when we come unto him. But there's a covenant, this better covenant. When we join the church, we have to watch it because we have to condemn sin in the flesh. And if we still fleshly and carnal, we end up condemned. But there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So we have to make sure we're in Christ Jesus and not walking in the flesh. That carnal, that old man has to be put to death. The condemnation is to that carnal man. The Bible displays the father's and son's standard in a multi, uh, in a multitude of word pictures that reveal their nature and characteristics in word and deed. So we have to do this both ways. That, that's where the standard is. At the, it's simply sin is a deviation from what is good and right. And we have to stay on the right path. You remember I was talking about the way to salvation, the right way? And it says, pick up your cross and deny yourself and follow after him. We have to be on that narrow path. And God's word, God's word reveals this. So we have to walk in his word. We can't be just hearers of that word and saying that word. It has to be done. It has to be done indeed. This denial of self. This denial of things. So you could go on and please your spouse. You could please your children or your parents, whoever. You could be a man pleaser. But you're not pleasing God, and that's the problem. That's going to forever be the problem. It's going to be a many go to their grave trying to please man and not pleasing God. The most common verbal root in Hebrew for the noun sin literally means to miss or to fail or to err or to be at fault. To miss the mark. To fail. To be at error. And it's often translated depending on whatever context is in. 
So it's the context of the word, especially throughout the New Testament. The word hamatia is sin. Solomon writes in Proverbs 8.36 says, But he who sins against me, that is wisdom personified, wrongs his own soul, and all of those who hate me love death. The wisdom that comes from God, this personal spiritual leading unto the truth. That's why he says he's the way, he's the life. So that truth, you have to love the truth and what is truth and you have to do anything for that or you can fall under that strong delusion. You have to follow the truth. The truth is what sets you free. Now if you love wickedness or evil, if you fear man, oh I had to do this with my wife, I had to do this with my husband. I don't want my wife to fear me more than she fear God and more, more than she fear doing the truth. We have a problem there, and I'm, I'm part of that problem if she fears what I'm saying or thinking rather than what's right, what's true. Genesis 20 and 9 also contains it. It says, Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Abraham lied to him and put him in a situation by saying Sarah was his sister. That shouldn't be done. In lying, that's the tongue. That's the fire that sit on the course of nature. It's better to come in and not make an excuse for doing something, uh, not even say why you did it to come in and lie about it. Because God's word come into position, then it says, no liar shall enter the kingdom of God. No liars. Regardless of what you're lying about, the word says, no liars. So we have to lie not to one another. We have to stop lying. That's iniquity. And we know who the father of lies is. That iniquity, that we have to face whatever consequences we have to face, but we can't go around lying. Uh, Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 5 and 7, Our fathers sin and are no more, but we bear their iniquities. Now, that seemed to be, in a way, what was said, but we know we have to bear our own iniquities, and God doesn't punish us for our father's sin or someone else's sin. Each man bears his own sin and iniquity. Now we may have a disposition towards something that's born in the family, you know, but that's why sometimes we have to see our fathers and our brothers or whoever it was and realize they were fallible and this was a problem on their behalf. They could have been a drunk. They could have been an adulteress, a fornicator. They could have done many a thing. Once you begin to idolize men or women or, or whatever and don't see any wrong in them, now you, you're you blinded. The God of this world blinds you. But if God opens you up to see your father's transgression, to see your children's transgression, sometimes we look at our children through the wrong eyes. We look at our parents through the wrong eyes. We look at our spouses through the wrong eyes. We have to look at them through the lens that God gives us the lens to look through. They'll try nepotism on you. All these things are works of the flesh. We can't be given to the works of the flesh. 
It says here the fathers missed achieving God's standard, that is the level of conduct he would have exhibited where were he involved in the same situation as they. Iniquitous is translated from the Hebrew avon, which suggests perversity. Iniquity is a perversity in some texts or whatever. But we have to overcome these, and that's why it says with fear and trembling work out your own salvation. You may be only that one of the family that God had taken. Remember out of Joseph's other brothers, he only chose Joseph. God doesn't necessarily choose everybody else just because that's your family. That doesn't mean God has chosen them. Titus 2.14 says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all our iniquity. From all of it because no sin, none of this that's within us shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So if he died to redeem us from all iniquity, it has to be purged or washed from us by his word. Thoroughly washed. We have to have clean hands to serve the Lord. It says that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. In other words, that's what we look forward to, do good works. That's what we're trying to do. Now, whether we do them all the time or not, that's Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. But that has to be the motivation. That has to be the driving factor. Redeem us from all iniquity. And I told you what iniquity was. Redeem us from all us from lawlessness means to buy us back from being without law. Antinomians are also those we have to watch out for because antinomians state because of the grace of God, the moral law has been done away with. We can't become antinomians because that law, God's law is not done away with. If we are under the liberty of Christ Jesus, that's where we said that the law didn't have a remedy for sin. But we are under the blood of Jesus Christ who redeemed us. In other words, he was the atonement for our he atoned for our sins. He was the propitiation. And I, I say sometimes we can use that word propitiation, but expediation for our sin. He expiated our sin. What sin is and what sin does? What is sin and what sin does? 1 John 3 and 4 says, Whosoever committed sin transgressed also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And that's why I say we can't be an antinomian. We must realize that that law is there in that definition of sin that sin is the transgression of law, and we're all sinners, for we all sin. And for us that say we have no sin, we make God a liar. So we have to see what sin is and know what sin is, and that's why Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. So when your spouse or somebody said, well, you think you're holier than somebody, or you perfect, no, I'm striving to be, but no, I don't think that I'm pure and sinless. I try not to sin. I try to overcome sin. I try not to practice sin. But for me to say that I'm as this Pharisee and think I'm above you, that's something else that you're putting those words there. 
the, where the iniquity, where that comes in at, is in your thinking. You have that Phariseeatical thinking. That's your problem. That you're not. Uh, that you thinking that I'm not as you. That that's the competition. That's why. That's one of the things comparing one another. When you get in competition, you remember, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollo. That was the division in churches. Some people might not come when this guy preaching, or some people might want to hear this preacher or that preacher. you got selection of preachers, but it's the Word of God that you should select. That, that in itself is setting up a division in the body of Christ. When you partial toward others like that, it is easy... For us to think of sin only in terms of 1 John 3 and 4. But it is a good place to begin. Sin is directly connected to breaking God's laws or breaking laws. His statutes, precepts, and judgments. That's a good place to start at there. Law, especially in the Old Testament, frequently means the broader term instruction. And remember I said, this had something to do with instruction, a doctrine, because he told Adam not to eat of that tree. And Adam disobeyed God. And see, that's why I say something entered into him that says, Satan entered into Judas. It's an a influence, sin has to influence your mind. That's something. You remember when we started saying, something told me to do this or something told me not to do it? We have to start weighing that something and see where that something is coming from, the instruction of that something. Because the Satan was preaching this gospel to Eve, he instructed her in eating of this tree. She was deceived. Adam knew that this wasn't right. And that's what I say. If we have God's Spirit, He gives us the knowledge of the truth. Now, we have a choice to choose life. So if we stop choosing or making wrong decisions, I think we get stronger in overcoming. He ever given ever-increasing faith, and it makes us easier to overcome or helps us to be overcomers. The more we walk in faith, the more we overcome. Thus, we have more to consider as sin than just the breaking of a specific law. Because what's the intent of that law? What's the precept behind that law? What's the precept there? The, the, we're fighting against powers and principalities, so this has to be about something not carnal. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities here. Powers of darkness. However, sin is not a complicated concept. Numerous terms in both Old and New Testament describe sin, but collectively, they all give the same sense. That is to deviate from the way, deviate from the path or law, to fall or live up to a certain standard. You remember the way, that path. We have to stay in the path, stay in the way, that narrow way. We can't let somebody come along and broaden that way because that's the way to the destruction. And then we can't follow our own mind and our own understanding because lean not to your own understanding. Is that scripture? There's a way that seemeth right to a man. 
So these ways and thoughts and things, that has to do with iniquity. We have to be careful here now. We find two of these words translated as trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 and 1 says, And you had he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now he had quickened us. He had made us alive. We were dead in that. And he turned us and he converted us. to Now we're being regenerated. Trespasses from the Greek paratoma means to go off a path a fall or slip aside. When it is applied to moral and ethical issues, it means to deviate from the right way, to wander off. You remember he made Cain a fugitive in the earth, a wanderer. He had made him a vagabond. He didn't travel in any definite pattern. We have to get on that straight and narrow path. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. We have to follow that way. Sin, sins, the Greek harmatea, is generally associated with military usage and means to miss the mark. It indicates failing to make a bullseye. In moral and ethical context, it means to fail at one's purpose, to go wrong or to fail to live according to an accepted standard uh, ideal and we know God had purposed us for good works. He had purposed and he has a plan for our life and he know why he had created us and chosen us to fulfill his purposes. And that's what we're looking for, the purpose of God in our life. Why are we here? What am I here to do? And I'm here to do the will of God. I want to do that which is pleasing unto God not pleasing on the man. Sin is the failure to be what we ought to be and could be. And that's what I said. Some people let their spouses, parents, children, other people or whatever stop them from being all that they could be. And that's what I say. Well, if you feel however your faith is, you have to follow your people tell you follow your heart, follow your faith. Don't listen at me. We have to make up our mind to do the what God's leading us to do or whatever that's we believe. Yeah. Am I saying that right? And to walk by the faith that was once delivered unto the saints because my wife can't blame me for her, how her life turns out. I can't blame my wife. My children can't blame. We're always looking for someone to blame. But it says the grace of God had appeared to all men. Now we might make the wrong decisions, but he gives us opportunities to correct that, I think. The salvation of God had also appeared to all men. The salvation of God had appeared. That common salvation, that but that salvation that leads us we get on the right path. That's a as a common grace and a common salvation, but then we get more specific in there. When we understand the terms God inspired to describe sin, we can easily see why sin is so universal. Because the robber, the murderer, drunkard, a rapist, child abusers, a terrorist, whatever, uh, obviously whatever evil, we really uh, readily agree, but 
a lot of times people that scammers, people that run uh, the stock market or cheat at certain things or pilfer or different type sins, respectable citizens, I think their iniquity will be greater. It'll be greater. It's like the Pharisees. They might not murder with a gun, but they cause the death of many. Just like Satan caused the death of Eve by deceiving them. So the false teachers and false preachers, that's why it says, don't be many masters because greater is going to be the condemnation because you've caused many to error. He says, it's going to be greater than uh, the one that does this to the, these little ones. It would be better for him that he was tied with a stone, a millstone around his neck and cast into the sea or whatever than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. We have to watch what we're saying or doing. Preaching and teaching is a very dangerous business. But see, the power of the words of that effect, iniquity has caused it to lose reverence and caused the gospel and all of this. It doesn't lose the significance of power, but that's what causes a minute to go the broad way because these stumbling blocks, and, and it says uh, the stumbling blocks of our iniquity, and that's what Balaam did. He gave the children of Israel wrong counsel. So, like I said, the preachers, the white collars, and the, the politicians, and the people in greater a respectable thing, those are the worst sinners. I would think that those are the ones that wouldn't be able to repent because they're fixed and fitted in because of their mindset. They think God doesn't see this. That's what happened to Israel. The reason Israel and, and Judah was destroyed, they thought that they were the people of God and God wouldn't destroy the temple, yet they were the ones who apostatized. They had a falling away from uprightness. That means they're still in the church, still preaching Christ, but they're preaching another Jesus. This doesn't line up with sound doctrine. It's not sound teaching. And Jesus said, beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees. For the doctrine of the Pharisees contain leaven. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. These terms, though, bring us face to face with the reality of sin. That is not all, That it is not always obvious. Sin is not confined to external conduct. And that's what I say. What's motivating you to join church? What's motivating you to do anything you do? Don't you think God is... The Bible tells you God is not mocked. I heard Alex Begg one time talking about that. And I, I think that was a correct interpretation there. It's not saying that God is not made fun of, that you can make fun of God. And all of these people that's making fun of the church and all these jokes, they have that place. But I don't think that that means mock what mock mean in that context. When it says God is not mocked, in other words, God is not outwitted. God is not outfoxed. You're not going to do anything and outsmart God. You can't give to get. Just because these people come up with paying tithes and offerings, if you do this for 90 days or whatever, that isn't how God works. And you go along that line of preaching and teaching and using God as insurance policy, you're going to be woefully deceived. God's not mocked now. 
Sometimes sin is buried within one's heart and very cleverly concealed from all but the most discerning. And that's what I say. Some people, you won't realize the devil. They are devils. It says it, it's impossible to fool the elect of God, but the devil deceiveth many. He's changed or transformed into angels of light. So that iniquity is there. Whether it's making you be given to vanity or whatever, the sin, if it's sin, sometimes he can use false miracles. See, that's why he used lying signs and wonders because those signs and wonders and miracles is what have you following the preaching and teaching. That prosperity that you following or whatever, that's what you, that's what's in your heart and that's what you after. So he says you have you have your rewards. You've gotten what you were after. That was like the rich young ruler, but he couldn't inherit eternal life because he didn't follow Christ. They're not following Christ. They have what they want. So they want to be proclaimed as a church that gives out food, that feeds the needy, that does all these things. That's what that church is known for. But that's not going to get you into heaven. Works don't get you into heaven. We're going to slow down on this and pick up at another, the rest of this Sunday. I'll preach on this Saturday and we'll, I'll try to teach on it Sunday. But we still have what I was talking about the other day. Heavenly Father, as we